Good morning, happy Sunday everyone. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. I've had a little break from work so I hope you have enjoyed the messages brought to you by Jim over the last couple of weeks helping us to think about worship. Today we start the next theme as we think about the purpose behind fellowship. This week and next week we'll think about what it means for us to be the church and what fellowship offers us as we live out our purpose. Over the last few weeks, through looking back at Genesis, we've discovered that we were deliberately designed by God and given creative capacities in his likeness so that we can operate his rule and reign throughout the earth. This means continuing the work of creation in partnership with God, filling the earth with more of his likeness in both shaping the natural world around us and creating families who reflect his relationship with us. We are created to reflect God's image out into the world, bringing about his divine order in creation and aligning our will with his through worship. However, as we know, humans mess up and they're deceived into believing that despite everything God has given them, including the authority to rule and reign over the earth, that they should have more. They disobey God in the hope that, ironically, they will become like him. They seek to rule, but to rule as God or above God, rather than ruling for and with God. Humans continually rebel against God and use their creative capacities for the destruction and death of the world around them. They create idols in their own image and worship them instead. But God continually seeks to draw people back to him so that they can reclaim the relationship and the role that God intended for them to have. Their repeated failure to do so leads to God sending Jesus, the true and perfect divine human, who shows them what it means to live as God intended. And through his death and resurrection, creates a way for God to restore his rule and reign on earth through a family of humans who have chosen to return to him. And that family is called the church. When we give our life back to God, we become part of this family and share in what we commonly call fellowship. So what is the church? We're all part of it. We all go to it. But what actually is it? And what is this idea of fellowship all about? The word most often used in the Bible, meaning fellowship, comes from the Greek word koinonia. This word conveys the concept of community, communion, joint participation, sharing and intimacy. It was often used of a business partnership, where two or more people shared the same business and are therefore closely connected in their work. That tracks, given what we've already learned about our shared purpose in continuing the work of creation together. We share our life with God and with one another as we work towards a common goal, sharing the blessings, burdens and responsibilities of our creative business. It was also used of marriage, a covenant willingly made between two parties to fully share an intimate life together, a life bound together by loyal love. We see this in God's journey with Israel and the covenant he makes with them at Mount Sinai. 
as a people group, they had opted into this shared life together with God and with one another. And through the laws, God showed them what it looked like to share this life in a way that showed the rest of the world who he was. God and his people are in fellowship. It's often so much like a marriage. Finally, it was used to refer to the spirit of generous sharing in contrast to the spirit of selfish acquiring. This certainly rings true and reminds us of the fellowship of the early church that we see in Acts 2, where generous giving for the well-being of those within the fellowship superseded the accumulation of personal possessions. Through all this and other biblical examples, we see that fellowship is more than just an enjoyable social time. It's more than just cups of tea after the service or a general connection that comes from meeting together week by week. Fellowship is our covenantal belonging to the family of God, offering us a life of intimate relationship built upon a shared purpose and bound together by God's loyal love. As we begin to think about each of these things, let's begin with looking at what it means to have covenantal belonging in the family of God. Here's a reading from Exodus 19. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. And so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Here we see God and the people of Israel enter into fellowship. Having been rescued from slavery in Egypt, they make a covenant to build their life together with God from here on out a life built on mutual respect, collective participation, and loyal love. This covenant is a chance to start over and to establish a family where not only are justice and mercy abundant, but the understanding of covenantal blessing and responsibility is clear from the outset. Reading through the commandments and requirements that unfold through Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it's hard to imagine a way of life that was so prescriptive and to understand why there seemed to be a rule for every possible instance of disagreement or dispute. The thing is that God knows how people work. God knows that the trauma of Israel's oppressive history, combined with their untethered wilderness living, means that their potentially distorted understanding of a healthy community life needs a clear and common foundation. This is why all the rules and responsibilities outlined in the Torah are many and specific. Not only does God need to reshape the hearts and minds of a people who have endured a tremendous transition, he needs to give them boundaries 
to distinguish them from the values, cultures, and practices of the rest of the world in order to show clearly that they are his covenant people. The purity laws given to Israel are not meant to be universal. They are set only for God's people so that their lives flourish in a particular way because of their relationship with him and with one another, drawing the rest of the world's attention to what it looks like to live God's way. When we enter into a relationship with God, we give our lives to him and we make him Lord. We too enter into this covenant relationship, both with God and with his family. You don't accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior just to live this new life on your own. You are welcomed into the deeply diverse global fellowship of people who are bound together with a shared purpose and common foundation. Thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, life in God's family does look different from Leviticus. The church worldwide are now this special covenant family. We're no longer one group of people in one place, set apart from all the other tribes and nations with one way to live and worship. We're spread across many countries and cultures, and we come from ethnic and economic backgrounds of all kinds. Nonetheless, as Christians and as the church, we are living in covenant, marriage, partnership, koinonia with all the other people included in this family. And we're called to interact with them and love them according to the principles that God has set for us. This covenant is just as serious and as sacred as it was before. Here's the difference between a covenant and a contract as described by a legal firm. The difference between covenant and contract is evident when someone breaks one of the agreements. A contract is invalid when either one of the involved parties violates it. On the other hand, a covenant remains intact even if one of the parties breaches it. While covenants are a type of contract, they are not treated the same, nor are they built on the same premise. While a contract is legally binding, a covenant is a spiritual agreement. A contract is an agreement between parties, while a covenant is a pledge. A contract is an agreement you can break, while a covenant is a perpetual promise. A contract is a mutually beneficial relationship, while a covenant is something you take responsibility to fulfill. A contract exchanges one good for another, while a covenant is giving oneself to the other. You can opt out of a contract, but a covenant is about having the strength to uphold your part of the promise. One can stop paying into a contract when one party is not fulfilling their part in a deal. However, a covenant, the party not getting their needs met, supports the failing party so that they can meet their obligations. The amazing thing about God is that he does not invoke contracts. He initiates covenants. He willingly binds himself in covenantal fellowship to his people, knowing that they most likely will breach the commitments they have made and that he will love them anyway. 
He is, as Moses says, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love. This phrase is repeated several times throughout the Bible. God operates his covenants with loyal love. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, he welcomes us into that covenant of loyal love with himself. And we enter into a covenant of loyal love with his people. When we become part of the church, we do not sign a contract. We enter a covenant. A covenant that says we will love, honour, respect and support one another. The failure of one person to do this does not release us from our responsibility to fulfill the covenant commitment to them. On one hand, this concept is deeply reassuring. To know that God is committed to loving you, even when you've messed up in some spectacular way, what a joy. As a Christian, my sin, my failure to meet the mark does not cancel out God's commitment to loving me. May that be a deeply reassuring concept for us all to grasp. So too with the church. It should be a place where we are safe to make mistakes and be forgiven when we repent. But our failure to uphold our commitment to the fellowship doesn't mean an automatic cancellation of their commitment to us. So looking back at the covenant that God makes with his people at Mount Sinai, he binds himself to them and says that they will now have this special relationship with God and with one another. He says that they will be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. We often talk about a priesthood of all believers when we refer to the fellowship of the church. What does that even mean? It's not really something that has a relatable context for us today. One of my favourite authors, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, says this. Holiness means ordering the divine order in creation, whether it concerns plants or animals or the relationships between human beings. That sounds to me a lot like our creative commission, bringing divine order to the created world in the garden where we have been planted, with the animals that we have been given dominion over and the relationships with which we have been gifted. So what then is the role of a priest? Rabbi Sachs continues, a priest is trained to see and protect God's boundaries. An act in place sustains order an act out of place, a sin or a transgression, creates disorder. A priest cares for the order of the universe the way a composer cares about the precise order of notes in a symphony, or the architect about the precise arrangements of elements in the design of a building. So a priest is trained to see and protect God's boundaries, recognising the distinction between life and death, chaos and order. The priests in the Levitical temple, they would offer the sacrifices necessary to make things right between man and God and ensure that God's divine order was kept through obedience to the code he had given them. This is why Leviticus is known as the holiness book. It's a book full of commands about the divine ordering of life in the relationships with people and God, people and nature, and people with one another. These are and always have been God's greatest priorities. So when God enters a covenant with his people, he re-establishes this creative commission given in the Garden of Eden. 
he sets them about the task of ruling and reigning on his behalf throughout the earth. The difference now is that they're doing this in a world where other people are ruling and reigning for themselves. They're creating orders that are not of God. God's people need to be very distinct about what is God's way of order for the world and what is not. By being this unique group of people living under God's rule, they become that image of God reflected into the world, now in contrast to the image that others were reflecting. Their job wasn't to control the outside world and people around them. It was to maintain deepest obedience within the people of faith, creating this kind of mini Eden that others could observe. Now that's good for Israel to have been part of this unique priesthood. But what about us today? As Protestants in general and Baptists in particular, we tend not to have priests and our rituals for orderly life of intimacy with God are wildly diverse depending on our culture and context. But this concept hasn't been lost since the beginning of the church as we know it. 1 Peter 2 reflects some of this language when it says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Priesthood is still our calling. It's partly to do with this task, this bringing of divine order for godly living, but it's also to do with the intimate relationship with God that we have entered into, that allows us to meet with God and intersect our actions with his will. God is no longer only present within the walls of the temple where only the priests may enter to make sacrifices on our behalf. We as believers are the place where God dwells and our whole lives are given as a sacrifice that allows us to intercede on behalf of the world in a really special way. Thanks to the death and resurrection of Jesus, everybody can come to God on their own. We don't need priests and intermediaries to do this for us. That's why the gospel really is good news. But the church still has a unique role to play in the world. Our purpose as a covenantal family is to live out this way of divinely ordered life, taking into account the connection between our actions and God's will, creating an environment in which God's kingdom can flourish and reflect a unique way of love and life that draws others into the fold. We fulfill the creative commission given to us in Genesis and the great commission given to us by Jesus that we would make disciples of all nations. To be fruitful and multiply as this new family means to be bringing others in to the family. The more we do this, the bigger the family grows and the more the world becomes a place of God's divine order. We can't fully show the world what God's kingdom looks like unless it's evident in the relationships amongst God's people. That's why being a solo Christian doesn't work. You can't fully appreciate the work of a great composer by only listening to one instrument. You need to hear the whole orchestra working together in order to understand how the whole movement goes. People can certainly get a glimpse of Jesus by seeing how we live our lives as individuals, 
and how we treat them, that's really important. But our task is to show the world what it looks like in God's kingdom, a place where covenant love is lived out. Our witness is in the way we handle disagreements as those who are bound together by covenantal love. Our witness is in the way that we share in suffering as those who are bound together in covenantal love. And our witness is how we serve together as fellow believers bound together by covenant love. We model an intimate life with God through our relationship with him and with one another. We need both, and we cannot fully live the Christian life with the absence of either one. In all of this, we are held together by God's loyal love. Fellowship is so much more than just being part of a shared project or the relationships that come from meeting together week by week. Our relationships are bound up in God's love for us. That's the glue that ultimately holds us all together. God's love for Israel was faithful in the face of complete disobedience and destruction. God speaks of his people like a wife who has become a prostitute, giving herself away to the highest bidder. So unfaithful and disordered is their loyalty to him. But because he's bound to them by his covenant, his love remains loyal. At times, he must allow Israel to face the consequences of their choices, and he lets them experience the chaos and disorder that comes from abandoning their responsibilities. But nonetheless, he upholds his commitment to love them. When all else fails, he comes to them in person, sacrifices his very self to open up the floodgates for love to triumph. It's because of this sacrifice that people choose to enter into this covenantal family with God and with others. 1 John tells us that we love because he first loves us. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. God loves us. And so in return, we love him. In loving him, we become attuned to the things that matter most to him. His priorities become our priorities. His will becomes our will. We know that God cares most deeply about human relationships. And so we care deeply too. His love for us and for others should be reflected in our love for others. It's by our love for one another, reflecting God's love for us, that people will know we belong to God's family. It's not by our works or our good deeds, although they are certainly important and often speak volumes. It's by this loyal love for one another that people will know that we are disciples of Jesus. And through this, that they will see God's love for them. It's through our very relationships with one another that the world sees this mini Eden, this divinely ordered life in which justice, mercy, compassion, and creation can flourish. Here at Leslie Baptist, our challenge is to be a people who are moving forward together, led by Christ. But let's be honest, we can't do that on our own. 
It's incredibly easy for personal ambition, hurt and ego to get in the way of our ability to love one another well. We need to be a family who are walking closely with God, held together by his love when we so easily can fall apart. When conflict arises, when hurt is caused, when challenges overwhelm us, we need God's love to keep us together. It's his love that will minister to us, guide us, help us and heal us as we navigate a life of authentic fellowship in the midst of a broken world. This love is not a magical fix that means we can be a people full of sunshine and rainbows every time we get together. God's love is a powerful force that will hold up a mirror to each of us, showing us the parts of us that we need to see more clearly, and at times giving us perspective on how others need us to love them. In amongst the joy of having a family like ours, it is hard and messy and real. We cannot fake it. Neither God nor the world will be fooled, even when we fool ourselves. Real love, real fellowship, requires us to show up as we are, to be honest, vulnerable and brave. It takes courage and commitment to love and be loved. Thankfully, God's love is more courageous and more committed than ours ever could be. And even when we fail, his unfailing love for us and between us will remain. It's by allowing ourselves to be bound together with the unbreakable cords of God's loyal love that we can experience true fellowship. As always, we like to leave you with a question for coffee time and just one question for us today. How does the idea of being a family bound together by covenantal love encourage you, scare you or challenge you? That is it for me today, friends. I hope you found this helpful. If you're joining us on the Sunday morning live stream, then stick around because after worship, we have a time of communion together. And if you're listening to this later at home, then I hope you have time for a cup of coffee as you listen. I hope everybody has a great week. Stay home and stay safe.